I don't think I've ever, in the time that I've lived in Sheridan, Wyoming, since I was in fifth grade, so probably uh, almost 15 years now or something like that. Oh my God, that's weird to say. I've been here for 15 years almost. Um, I don't think it's ever rained as much as we've gotten rain. I feel like I'm living in Washington right now. I wake up, it's cloudy, that's gloomy, and it's raining or something, or it has just rained or something like that. I'm hoping that the rain at least will water down enough of the grass and enough of the trees and stuff like that that we don't have the the brown, you know, ugly stuff that we get towards the end of August and September where it's just kind of brown and dead. That is the hope. But I'm kind of getting sick and tired of the rain, I'll be honest with you. Hopefully it just rains enough and then it kind of goes away and then we kind of get on with the summer weather. You know what I mean? We're in June 7th right now and it's still just rain like raining like a typical April in the middle of Washington. So I, you know, I'm cool with it. I'll, you know, I'll live with it for right now if it means we get a prettier August. You know what I mean? It already looks really good outside right now with the um, the green grass, the green trees are all coming back and stuff like that. So it looks good now. Um, I just hope it stays that way once we get into you know August and September, the the brown days as uh, as we call them. Nobody calls them that. I just thought I, there's your nickname for August and September in Wyoming, the brown the brown days. Um, welcome to the weekend sports rap podcast for the week of. June 7th, it is obviously June 7th, Tuesday, June 7th, as of recording this. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please make sure to rate and subscribe if you're listening to uh, any, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, any of the other uh, uh, podcast feeds such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, something like that, anything like that. Just please give me a rate and a subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it. It helps me get into the trending section of those uh, different podcast areas and things like that. kind of gets my reach out to a to a bunch of different people. So I would appreciate that. Thank you very much if you just did it. I'll pause for five seconds. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate you rating and subscribing. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Once again, we got a couple of interesting topics to kind of get into here. We had a couple of uh, firings across the different uh, the different landscapes of sports. Um, a couple of, uh, of news stories in the Colorado area, the Denver area, the Colorado Avalanche, obviously. Killing it as usual, and uh, they're on their way to the Stanley Cup final, which will, you know, we'll we'll find out their opponent once the uh, the uh, the Lightning and the Rangers conclude their series. But uh, the uh, Lightning, or excuse me, the Avalanche are into the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 2001. So 20 years it has been since the Avalanche were at the Stanley Cup final, and they win last night, Monday night, excuse me, uh, to clinch a spot in the Stanley Cup playoff, beating the Edmonton Oilers. Six to five in overtime with a pretty furious comeback in the third period as well. So congrats to the uh, Avalanche. We'll get into that a little bit more extensively. And uh, also the um, looks like the Broncos are probably going to have a new owner by, according to this article, sometime by the end of this month is the idea. We'll get into that a little bit as well as some uh, some other storylines, some of the firings from baseball to basketball. Some other we'll kind of we'll take a look at the baseball landscape over this past we're Two months into the season now, uh, getting into about a third of the way through the season, and um, we'll take a look at where everybody kind of stands in that sense, and uh, we're going to take a look at kind of the biggest, most controversial story, I would say, over the last week, maybe in the sports world, um, not the last week, probably over the weekend um, in the sports world, and that was uh, that was um, Dustin Nicholson moving on to the uh, to live the Live Golf Invitational Series instead of sticking with the PGA. So they're moving on from the PGA, a pretty, pretty big development um, in the world of golf is those two leaving the PGA and going to the live golf entertainment invitation. I don't know what you call them. Live golf, I guess is what it is. Um, it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting development. Not a lot of people. I mean, people are talking about it obviously, but um, I don't think it's getting enough attention as it really is. It's, it's truly pretty unprecedented to see guys like Dustin Johnson, and um, Phil Mickelson, plus a bunch of other Louis Osteisen, uh, Kevin Na, Sergio Garcia, they're all part of Live now, and uh, they they won't be able to play in any PGA um, official PGA tournaments. They'll still be able to play in some of the majors. The majors are kind of up to the, up to the actual people that run the majors. So the U.S. Golf Association and uh, like Augusta National runs the Masters, and a couple others that run the other separate ma- um, the other separate um, uh, majors in golf, but as far as PGA run 
uh, official tournaments, they're not going to be able to play in any of those. So we're not going to see Phil Mickelson or Dustin Johnson in a lot of the regular golf tournaments that we usually see them in. So it'll be interesting to see how people react to that. I'll probably a little bit more in depth here a little bit later. Um, but first, we're going to start off with the Avalanche. Talked about them just a little bit. The Avs completed the sweep and won in four games over the Oilers with a game four comeback for the ages in Edmonton. The Oilers led four to two with just over 16 minutes left to play in the third period. In the third period, excuse me, but three goals in less than six minutes swung the scoreboard to a 5 4 Avalanche lead. Lekkonen got an OT winner just over an extra minute in the uh, over a minute into the extra frame. A faceoff in front of the Edmonton gold bounced back to Kale McCarr. McCarr fired a shot from the blue line that was sticked by Arturi Lekkonen. Off the pad, off of, uh, of goaltender Mike Smith. How about that for a name difference? You got Arturi Lekkonen, and try to spell that. for. Feel free to try to spell that. And then you got Mike Smith <laughs> in goal. Nothing uh, not a great, nothing like the contrast in names in hockey from Arturi Lekkonen to just Mike Smith in goal. Uh, the rebound off of what Mike Smith uh, fell to the left side of the net with Smith. While Smith was off, the ba- off balance, Lekkonen fired home the series clinching goal and sent the Avalanche to the Stanley Cup Finals. We'll see what happens. Uh, they still have to. We still have to wait for the Lightning and the uh, Rangers series to finish up. I, I believe the Rangers are leading that one two-one right now, and they'll play again as of recording this tonight. So I think the puck drop drops at six p.m. Uh, shared in time on Tuesday night. So we'll see where that ends up. Rangers do lead that series two to one though, and um, Lightning uh, again one of the more potent teams in the playoffs in playoff history. They're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. And uh, New York Rangers are just looking back to get back to the Stanley Cup Finals. And um, that would be huge for the city of New York. A little Denver, uh, New York action. That would be cool to see. Um, So we'll see what happens there. Hopefully, the Avalanche can do it. I mean, they're pretty much far and away have been the best team in the Stanley Stanley Cup playoffs so far, I would say. More than, uh, I mean, the Lightning looked really good against the Panthers, but they haven't really held up their side of the bargain against the Rangers. Um, The Rangers have also looked pretty good, obviously. But... I think the Avalanche have clear and away been the best team in these playoffs so far. They've dominated the Western Conference. Uh, they finished off the Western Conference Finals with a 4-0 sweep, obviously, to bring their postseason record in total to 12-2, and two sweeps against the Predators and the Oilers, and then a 4-2 series against the Blues. So they've dominated. We'll see what happens, um, whoever they get in the Stanley Cup Final, but it does feel like the Avalanche will be the clear favorites, whoever it is, depending on whether it be the Rangers or the Lightning. Um, unless something drastically changes amongst the the Avalanche or the Lightning or the Rangers. Um, but it definitely feels like the Avalanche are the best team in the Stanley Cup playoffs as of right now. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, hopefully the Avalanche could do it. It'd be cool to see. I mean, Denver hasn't had a champion since that 2001 team, if I remember correctly. I believe it was the 2001 team of the, uh, the Avalanche. So it'd be cool to see them again have a champion in their midst. Um, Rockies didn't, I'm trying to, th- oh no, what am I thinking? Sorry. The the Broncos won it in 2016 or something like that. I'm completely lost my mind. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be nice to see the Avalanche go back and win it. Sorry, Denver team has definitely won it. The Denver Broncos won it back in 2016, I believe, or something like that with Von Miller when they beat the, um, beat the Carolina Panthers. So yeah, they've had a, they've had a champion in football, but hockey, it's been a while, obviously since 2001. So, um, Good luck to the Avalanche, obviously. Nobody's listening to this on the Avalanche, but good luck to the Avalanche. It'd be cool, like I said, to see a Denver team, Colorado hockey team, win the uh, the Stanley Cup final. So we'll see what happens there. Again, waiting on the Rangers and the Lightning, and then we will get to the Stanley Cup final once that, uh, once that series in the Eastern Conference is concluded. Moving over to the other Denver team, the Broncos, the one that were the most recent champions. I can't believe I forgot that. What am I doing? Um, they are getting set up to be sold to the heir, uh, the heir to the Walmart throne, if you will, Rob Walton for a, a, a record-setting, expected to be a record-setting $4.5 billion. Rob Walton, if that does go through, would be the richest owner in NFL history. For the first time since 1984, the Denver Broncos are going to have a new owner, it looks like. According to Forbes, Rob Walton, Rob Walton excuse me, is likely going to purchase the team with a winning bid that's expected to come in at roughly $4.5 billion dollars. Forbes did note, though, that the winning bid has not yet been finalized, but it is expected to be announced as early as this month, end quote. So, quote, and early as this month, end quote. Uh, there's always a chance that a deal of this magnitude could fall through. It happens more often than you'd think, I think. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it seems highly unlikely at this point, considering Walton's wealth and vast resources. So, something they don't really talk about for um, 
a purchase like this, I mean, you, you see the numbers and things like that and you just think, holy cow, this guy just walked up with $4.5 billion in cash, but it doesn't really happen that way. Um, Walton will come up and it's usually partner. Um, I don't know if it is in this instance. I don't know if Rob Walton has his own partners. You know, it's a group of people that collectively bring their money together and they purchase the team together. And then whoever the, the lead, um, the person that puts the most money in the pot usually is the lead owner, whatever, what have you, the CEO, if you will, of the actual team. Um, but in this instance, I don't know if that's exactly what's going to happen. It could just be Rob Walton buying the entire team by himself. That's entirely possible because, you know, the Walmart family is that disgustingly rich. Um, Rob, who is the son of Walter Walmart founder Sam Walton, is worth an estimated of $59.6 billion, according to Forbes. So it is entirely possible um, you know, it is entirely possible that he will be a lone, a lone owner in that instance. But these, these, um, these deals that go through, especially for football teams and just, you know, uh, sports teams in, in general, um, don't necessarily have a lot of details that leak other than the price that they're purchasing for. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, you know, who the actual, ownership group is if it is just Walton or if it's a collective group of a different a couple different people or something like that but again Walton has the money to just buy himself buy it himself and I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't just himself just purchasing it that wouldn't be any what any surprising at all um but the interesting thing that happens with these is he doesn't just show up with the cash you know what I mean or, or a cashier's check worth 4.5 billion dollars the NFL has to like audit them a bunch of different times to make sure that the money that they're getting is actually legitimate. Um, and then it goes through a bunch of different, you know, um, you know, uh, investigations within the NFL that aren't just audits and that sort of thing to make sure it's legal money and that sort of thing. So it's a whole process that is very, very, very confusing that only, you know, money managers in the world of the NFL truly understand and lawyers in the NFL truly understand. But the big thing is Broncos are getting a new owner, probably more than likely Rob Walton, the heir to the Walmart throne for $4.5 billion and he'll become the richest NFL owner in the NFL, obviously. And I don't know how that'll affect um, what happens with the Broncos, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking they're going to get moved or anything like that, obviously, but um, in terms of facilities and that sort of thing, I don't know if that's all entirely left up to a guy like Rob Walton or if, I mean, obviously there's a board of some sort that'll go to, um, but I mean, if he's just purchasing it by himself, I don't know why a guy would have to answer to a board of other purchasers, if that makes sense. He's not, it's not like it's a publicly traded company or anything. It's a privately owned company. And if he is the only person that owns it, then he can kind of make those decisions as he sees fit. Now, if you're talking about moving the team, obviously that comes down to the different, to the, all the other NFL owners, the commissioner as well, even though the commissioner doesn't have all that much power to it. Um, it's mainly the other owners. Um, so they're not going to move the team. I'm not, I'm not suggesting they're going to move the team. Okay. I'm just thinking out loud what sort of things a guy that is singularly owning a team can kind of do. So I'm thinking um, facilities that he can just kind of make by himself. Jerry Jones, I believe is an owner by himself as well. So he could build a new stadium if he wanted to just off the whim. If he wanted to do that. Um, if you wanted to, I don't know, add uh, extra seating to the Denver, to the uh, Mile High Stadium or anything like that, I believe he could probably do that just without going to a board or anything like that. Um, you know, changing the the um, the uh, the surface of the field so it's um, different types of grass because it's cheaper, more expensive. Something I don't know. That's just random stuff. I don't know if he could do that or not, but that's something to keep an eye on just because he's by himself. You know. Something that crosses his mind. He's like, you know what? This would look cooler. Oh, a, a, a jumbotron, a Jerry Jones type jumbotron. Obviously, you can't do that in a an open air stadium, but you know, a big jumbotron in the visiting team's end zone or something like that. He could probably do that if he wanted to, just because he could wanted to, just because he wanted to do it, and he's got the money to do it. And if he's a singular owner of their team, who's going to stop him? You know what I mean? So that's just kind of some interesting ideas that could come upon the Broncos because of Rob Walton becoming the owner of this team, different things could change. Um, different things could, um, just, you know, uh, happen to different, you know, facilities, upgrades and that sort of thing, or, you know, downgrades, depending on, he could be a cheap 59.5 billion billionaire or whatever, you know, so certain downgrades can happen. I don't know that, but that's just things that 
you'll want to keep an eye on if you're a Broncos fan, just a Broncos fan, just because you're getting a new owner. Things like that change, you know, from owner to owner, just based on their feelings. It's a different person at the helm, just like you're getting a new job or a new boss is coming and things change. That's what could happen. It probably won't happen. What will be that, that, that drastic, I would assume, but you never know. So there you go. Broncos fans, you're getting a new owner. Broncos are getting a new owner. So Broncos fans, you have a new owner to look to, um, you know, and if things start going wrong at mile high, you know who to blame. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, moving on here. That's the, those are probably the two biggest stories happening out of Denver right now. So moving on, we're going to talk a little bit more about some interesting developments that have happened over the past couple of days um, in the baseball scene. And then in the basketball scene, um, obviously the finals are going on in basketball, but I'm not talking about that. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit. Um, but uh, the finals haven't been too entirely interesting, I would say, so far. We had a big fourth quarter comeback from the Celtics um, in game one. That was pretty cool. That was fun to watch. And the Celtics won that game. I went to Top Gun Maverick. Great film, by the way. Go watch it. Um, I went to go see that movie. And before uh, the, before I went into the movie, I remember seeing a bunch of tweets that Steph Curry was basically popping off, you know, scoring buckets, doing his thing, Splash Brother. And then I come out of the store. I come out of the movie and I look on my phone and. Boston won. And I was like, how did that just happen? And come to find out crazy fourth quarter comeback. So there you go. Um, that's basically what happened. And then the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, Warriors tied it up, tied the series up in game two, winning that game with a, uh, pretty strong third quarter, uh, that basically won them, won them. That game came out scorching hot in the third quarter. Uh, they had a pair of runs to book in the stanza. They opened the quarter with a 12, two sprint out of the gate and then ended it on a 19 to two, uh, run at the end of the third quarter as well, concluding with a Jordan pole half court buzzer beater. That usually is a pretty good sign that uh, things aren't going well. If it's a nine two, 19 to two run. And then a guy on the, oppo- on the guy, a guy on the opposing team drains a half quarter buzzer beater in your face, then not, not going well. Um, Steph, Cor- Steph Curry had 29 points, six rebounds, four assists, three steals in game two. Jason Tatum at 28 points, six rebounds, three assists. Jalen Brown had 17 points, six rebounds, three assists. And Jordan Poole. uh, tacked on to his 17 points with that half court buzzer beater. So series is tied one, one we'll see neck. The next game is on Wednesday as of recording this. So tomorrow um, they'll be in Boston and then it'll be Friday after that. What are these times? I'm just, I just read this read these times. Why is it starting? I mean, I guess it makes sense because it is the warriors, but I mean, they should have the Celtics should have some sort of advantage when they're at home, a 9 PM Eastern time start in Boston. That is absurd. People are going. People are going to. I don't know if it's T- the TD Garden still or not, but the TD Garden. I'm going to call it that. The TD Garden in Boston at 9 p.m. for a 9 p.m. start. That doesn't make any sense. How does that make any sense? That is a complete advantage for the Warriors, just because they're basically starting a game at 7 p.m. their time, and the Celtics are starting it at 9 p.m. on the East Coast, and their fans are all going to be going to bed because Boston Celtics fans are all old people. No offense to Boston Celtics fans. I'm just kidding, but. Boston or NBA. Why are we doing this to Boston? They're the home team started at 7 PM Eastern time. Give them some sort of an advantage because that's how home court advantage should work. Not a 9 PM start on the East coast, just so you can get the West coast people to watch the game. Who cares? We're here to play basketball, man. I mean, I mean not who cares. I mean, obviously they're doing it. I mean, they got to make the money. I understand that, but still five o'clock start on the West coast. Not five o'clock. It'd be three o'clock, I guess, if it was a seven. But still, I mean, the, the Warriors should not get the advantage of a five p.m. start their time for a nine p.m. Eastern time start for the Celtics. That doesn't make any sense for the Celtics. That game should start at seven p.m. Eastern time, and then the Warriors or the the fans on the West Coast should just have to deal with it because that's home court advantage. Welcome to home court. The sell the Warriors team. The Warriors fans are getting a seven p.m. start time or whatever on the West Coast whenever they're in at San Francisco and that's that's like 10 o'clock almost 11 o'clock on in Boston how does that make any sense I don't understand what we're doing here okay I don't care about you know I this this series doesn't interest me as much as everybody else even though I don't think it interests anybody really to be honest with you but a 9 p.m. start doesn't interest anybody on the East Coast. Nobody on the East Coast is going to watch this game because it's 9 p.m. and everybody's going to bed because they got to work because it's a Wednesday night. It's a Wednesday night. They could work on Thursday. Why are they starting at 9 o'clock? Started at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, 9 o'clock on Friday because everybody will be up on Friday at 9 o'clock on the East Coast. Whatever. Just mix it up. I don't understand why they're doing this. It doesn't make any sense to me. Sorry, I'm going on a rant. 
basketball start times are stupid and it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It doesn't, it infuriates me that that stuff happens because the East Coast just gets shalammed, shalocked for just being on the East Coast. And it's just completely ridiculous. And to be honest, kind of unfair, but whatever. Moving on. Um, we had a couple firings in the MLB and one big firing in the NBA. I don't know if it was a firing. I mean, it was a, you know, it was a firing, but put into, you know, nicer terms in the NBA. Um, starting with the MLB ones, the one that was, uh, happened, I think it was last Friday, if I remember correctly, the Phillies, they fired Joe Girardi. Um, the team started the season 22 and 29 under his belt this year. And, um, the president of baseball operations, David Dombrowski announced on Friday that the Phillies would be moving on parting ways with Joe Girardi and interim, uh, and Rob Thompson would be the Phillies interim head coach until the end of the season. Uh, Girardi took over managerial duties for the Phillies prior to the 2020 season and two plus seasons as Phillies skipper, including the pandemic shortened 2020 season. Girardi's team amassed a record of 132 and 141. Not very good and never reached the postseason. Girardi previously managed with the Yankees from 2008 to 2017. He led the team to a World Series title back in 2009 as a player. Girardi won three World Series rings, but 132 and 141 with the Phillies is not... I mean, they got a pretty decent team. They've had bullpen struggles and stuff like that. Their offense should be electric this year with guys like Castellanos, um, Harper still. He can slash the ball. He, he can hit the ball as well as anybody in the league. Um, Alec Boehm at third base isn't, you know, he's okay. He's not the best, but he's pretty solid. Um, JT Romuto is arguably the best catcher in the MLB. You can kind of have that argument with anybody, um, but he's one of the better catchers in the MLB for sure. Um, and then you've got, you know, a solid starting a uh, starting, um, starting rotation in uh, Zach Wheeler and then Aaron Nola, two pretty solid one, two punches to be honest with you at the top. And then, um, you know, bullpen has still been shaky for them for a while. It has been since basically he's taken over, but uh, you know, that's not really on him. That would be more on David Dombrowski if anything. Um, but the team definitely has under, um, under succeeded, I would say for sure. And, you know, but we always point at the manager or the coach, depending on whatever, you know, no matter what, when it comes to, you know, underperforming in sports. So, you know, Joe Girardi, he gets the hammer. That happens. Um, I, I always kind of thought Girardi was maybe not the best choice for that job. Um, I think he kind of doesn't. He doesn't, for for me anyways, he doesn't fit the Bryce Harper type of mantra of let's just have fun. I see that more in a Gabe Kapler who they had and then let go to the Giants, and then the Giants had one of their best seasons, you know, with basically nobody that kind of shocked everybody with the season they had last year, and that was under Gabe Kapler. Um, and he and Kapler was with the Phillies, I believe it was before Girardi. So the Phillies are probably kind of kicking themselves now for letting him go. Um, but Girardi, Girardi never, I, I don't know, he never struck me as really a fit for this team, if that makes sense. And baseball managers, they're kind of, and I'm kind of getting out of my, uh, my realm of expertise here, but to me, baseball managers are probably the, the least, how do I say this and not be offensive or not me mean about it? Um, they're the least, uh, tactical, I would say of the, of the, you know, four major sports managers, I would think, uh, football. I mean, you have your OC and your DC, but a lot of those guys know, both playbooks, regardless of, you know, as head coach, you kind of have to know both of those. And then um, basketball, obviously you're drawing up plays like crazy, you know, plays, you know, what guy is good at everything. Not that MLB, but managers don't, but obviously there's less tactics in being an MLB or a baseball manager than there is in any of the other sports, just because of how slow baseball can be. So, so being a baseball manager as a whole, Girardi just never, I mean, really struck me as the right fit for that guy. And I guess basically what my point is, I don't know what you can really look for in a baseball manager that um, explodes off the sheet that shows, you know, this guy knows what he's doing other than if you can get along with the, the players that you have in the clubhouse and make them perform at their best ability. I guess there's not a lot of tactics to it in my, from what I can understand as an outsider looking in, um, there's not a lot of tactics to it. It's just more how do I get the most out of a player on the field, play the best as they can, going up to the plate and hitting the ball hard, having a good season, or you know pitching as well as they can, that sort of thing. And I think mainly part of it as well is kind of 
building a good coaching staff around you, a good pitching coach, a good hitting coach, good bench coaches are pretty big. Um, and that sort of thing before, you know, before you're actually out and playing, because once you're playing, you know, you have the shift and stuff like that, where guys bat in the lineup is pretty important. But, um, but once you make the lineup card, that's all you need to do. There's not much you can do after that, other than maybe pinch run or pinch, uh, pinch hitting somebody, pinch running somebody, the bullpen, you'll have to keep an eye on that sort of thing. But other than that, it's not like, you know, they're not drawing plays up or anything like that. Everything is kind of formulated out in front of you more so than in any other sport. Um, other than, you know, the shifts and stuff like that. And then, um, the bullpen pitchers and matchups and things like that. So it's just kind of interesting to try to look for a baseball manager that fits a clubhouse and a group of players, um, more so than it is tactically like you'd see in any other in any other sport where you're kind of looking for both a perfect mismatch of both whereas in baseball it feels more like you got to just look for somebody not not got to but it's definitely leaned more towards somebody that can really um affect the clubhouse in a positive way than it is on a tactical aspect if that makes sense so Girardi to me never really made sense for the Phillies a guy like Bryce Harper kind of needs somebody that can kind of not calling Bryce Harper a diva or anything. I actually really, I, I don't, you know, I don't love Bryce Harper, but I like his message that he provides to the game of baseball where it should just be fun. And he looks like he's having fun. And I appreciate that. And, um, Joe Girardi never really gave off that vibe. If that makes sense. I always thought he was kind of overrated. Um, so we'll see what, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the Phillies are going to do. There's not, like I said, I, I can't think of a, like a bench coach or anything like that. The one that I can think of, and this is just me being, I'm being a true to myself Homer here is a guy like Alex Cora and everybody's going to hate Alex Cora. I get it, but he served his time. All right. One year suspension, get off my back. Um, he's a guy that looks like he gets the most out of each player because of how energetic and, um, and, uh, and positive, I guess would probably be the right word, how positive he is in the dugout. And I think that, that that's something that players really feed off of. So something like that, I mean, somebody like that, I think would probably help the, uh, help the Phillies, a positive influence on a guy like, um, on a guy like Bryce Harper, somebody that'll tell him to keep doing what he's doing. And then that'll feed off into the rest of the clubhouse because guys like Cassianos will be. Uh, Nicholas Castellanos will be following something like Bryce Harper and then, you know, Castellanos, obviously he's a very good hitter, very good player as well. And he also just wants to play the game and have fun. So somebody that can kind of feed into those guys are like, look, just go out there, have a good time, have fun, play the game of baseball, how you want to play the game of baseball. And I'll eat all the fire. No problem. Guy like that. Of course, that's a dream scenario. Probably won't happen just because that's hard to find. And if, if it's our, if it's out there then it's probably already been found. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the Phillies are going to do. Um, we'll see what happens. I think they're a good enough team to still make the postseason, but they have started off pretty dismally. Um, the postseason has been expanded in baseball, so that'll help. Um, but um, yeah, we'll see if they can. I mean, the, the NL East, other than the Mets, hasn't been you know too good. Um, Marlins aren't great. Nationals aren't great. And then the Braves have started off really slow as well, um, much slower than we would have liked to see. So that spot is still probably open a little bit in the NL um, for an, another NL wild card. So they could still probably make a run for it. They're the second best team in the NL East, in my opinion, um, up there with the Braves. But that's, you know, kind of up for kind of up for debate debate. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Phillies. It'll be a bench coach for now. And maybe Rob Thompson does a good, good enough job to keep the Phillies manager job just through the rest of time, basically. So um, that's the Phillies. And then today was breaking news. Today being Tuesday Jan- or June 7th. Breaking news. Joe Madden was outed as uh, kicked out as the Los Angeles Angels manager. Um, they're in the midst of a really bad losing streak. They're a 12 game losing streak right now that has tarnished the remarkable start to the season. And they fired Joe Madden as manager. As of Tuesday, Phil Nevin has been named interim manager. The team announced Nevin I'm being uh, I'm being speculative here, but I feel like Phil Nevin has coached before. I don't 100% know. The name is very familiar, Um, but I don't know. But anyways, he's the interim manager. Joe Madden fired. The Angels were 10 games above 500. Just two weeks ago, they were 10 games above, above 500, but since falling to 27 and 29, the 12-game skid had tied a franchise record for a season, putting the Angels in danger of missing the postseason for the eighth straight year despite an expanded postseason field. That would be huge. I really want to see the Angels in the playoffs. I beg. Phil, Phil Nevin, please. I'm begging you get this team to the playoffs, man. This team needs the national spotlight on it. It needs, I mean, it has a national spotlight on it, but it needs a good 
national spotlight on it. This team deserves to be in the playoffs. It doesn't deserve, but it has the it has the the building blocks to be in the playoffs, and it has the building blocks to be a fun team to watch in the playoffs. I want to see Trout in the playoffs. I want to see Shohei in the te- in the playoffs because Shohei's fun, man. Shohei's a blast to watch. It doesn't matter if he's DHing and if he's pitching. If if you haven't seen Shohei pitch, it's a He's not like a, you know, he's not a Max Scherzer or anything like that. He's not the best pitcher in the world, but he is an easy number two pitcher on any other team. In the, you know, any other team with a number one, he's an easy number two, and he will battle for that number one spot. He is so much fun to watch. And then, if as he's battling for that number one spot as a pitcher, he'll go out and hit 35 home runs a season. It's unbelievable. He's so much fun to watch. He strikes out too much. Absolutely. That's kind of just how the game is played right now, though. Um, but nonetheless... Get this team to the playoffs, Phil Nevin. I'm begging you, dude. Please. 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 We need to see the Angels in the playoffs. Okay? Even if they if they get swept, if Shohei and Trout have a fun time, if they have a good series, I won't care. Okay? Everybody, everybody knows about Trout. Everybody knows about Shohei, obviously, but they need to be on the national stage of the playoffs and just to see how they perform. Okay? Trout cannot become the greatest player of all time without, you know, making the playoffs, winning a World Series or anything like that. Willie Mays did it a bunch of times. He made the playoffs a ton of times. Babe Ruth, God knows how many World Series he won. You know, you can't be in that conversation without getting to at least getting to the playoffs. At the very least, getting to the playoffs. And he can't do it, in, you know, obviously, he can't do it by himself. Trout, he's having a pretty bad stretch, to be honest with you. If, if I think he's having one of the worst stretches. Um, I think he's like 0 for 22 or 0 for 23 in his last 23 at-bats or something like that. It's been pretty ridiculous. Um, he's having a pretty bad... I think it's like the worst stretch of at-bats he's ever had since he came into the league. Um, so that that doesn't help, obviously. But he can't also do it by himself. It's kind of a... You know, baseball, baseball to me is the ultimate team sport where, you know, a guy like Trout can go 4 for 4 with four solo home runs and they're still losing 6 to 4. You know what I mean? 4 for 4 with four home runs is a very good day for Mike Trout. But if they lose, who cares? You know, it doesn't matter. Um, so I, I appreciate that about baseball. And obviously, the team as a whole is not performing very well uh, for the Angels. And we'll see what happens. Um, they, they really need to turn it around if they want to make the postseason. The Astros are getting a pretty solid lead out in, uh, in the AL West. And then um, I believe the, 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 the um, Rangers are kind of on their heels. Yeah, the Rangers are half a game back right now. 25 and 28 of the Angels. The Astros... They have an eight and a half game lead in first place in the AL West. So they're just, I mean, they've been rolling recently. So they're probably just going to keep building that lead as long as the Angels keep playing the way they have. And then the Rangers, you know, if they can play a little bit better, then they can notch up that second spot. But we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, Phil Nevin, get him to the playoffs. That's all I got to say. Please, Phil Nevin, get the Angels to the playoffs. Uh, and then the NBA, another big one. It wasn't. Um, I don't think this one was necessarily surprising and they kind of worded it to make it sound like he kind of just left, but it was more like, look, we can fire you or you can step down and step down with some dignity. And this is what they did. Um, the Utah jazz head coach, Quinn Snyder stepped down after eight seasons, stepped down in quotation marks. Again, they're handing you a loaded gun and telling you to, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with that, with that allegory. Um, that's not even an allegory, but that whatever that simile or whatever, um, they're kind of just telling him to, hey, leave or we're going to fire you and it'll look worse. And Snyder was like, all right, I'll just leave. So he decided to leave. And that's what he did. Um, they took uh, Quinn Snyder took the Utah Jazz to six consecutive, six straight playoff appearances, was an NBA coach of the year finalist just last season. And he won. This is an interesting stat. He won nearly 60 percent of the games of his games with this franchise. Um, 60 percent of the games of his games with the franchise. That's a pretty I mean, he's he's one of the he's going to be one of the top coaching candidates out there for any team, regardless of who it is. Um, and it doesn't look like he's going to step away from basketball or anything like that. Stepping down sounds a lot nicer than being fired, so that'll help his uh, his uh, his hiring pool a lot his hiring pool a lot more. Um, so, Snyder steps down from the Jazz. This one's a little less interesting. He went three seventy two to two, and two sixty four with the Jazz. His winning percentage of five eighty five, ranked eighteenth uh, best among NBA coaches. Who have worked for at least that long? He's one of only two coaches to have a winning record with the Jazz. Him and obviously Jerry Sloan back in the '90s with the Jazz is the other. Um, his decision means the Jazz will have a fourth coach in the span of 33 years when next season begins. Sloan was followed by Tyrone Corbin, who was followed by Snyder. So Snyder 
Um, moving on, we'll see what happens. Uh, he will find a job almost certainly. Um, he can, you know, go to Charlotte, something like that. Um, the Lakers already hired somebody, so that won't happen. Um, and then, you know, possibly, what if, what if future head job, head coaching job with the Spurs, um, taking over for Greg Popovich when he retires? Why not? Um, anyways, that's just speculation. We'll see what happens. Uh, he'll definitely find another job uh, just because he's. He's a very solid defensive coach. His offensive, his offenses have kind of looked a little stagnant with the Jazz over the years, and um, it's become a problem in the playoffs for sure. Um, but his defenses, year in and year out, have been top class, top top of the NBA, uh, top of the league uh, in the NBA in terms of um, productiveness. And um, it's just his offensive ability has just kind of lingered, you know, gotten kind of stagnant. When you got a guy like Donovan Donovan Mitchell and uh, another guy like Rudy Gobert, you can't be getting outed in the second round or the first round of the NBA playoffs. It's just not, you know, you got to be able to win. You got at least get there or you're going to be looking for a new job. And that's what happened. So there we are. He is gone. We'll see what happens there as well. Uh, moving on. The live golf live the live golf. I don't know what to call it. Live golf. They, they released their field list last week um, for the first event called the Centurion golf at the Centurion golf club in London from June 9th to 11th. Missing the missing from the list where six names is only 42 were made public. Let me first explain to you what, how the live golf tournament works. Okay. And it's a, it's a, it's not, I mean, it's different from the PGA obviously, but it's a lot more money. You know what I mean? Um, live golf. It is a rival golf league to the PGA tour where the tournaments consist of 54 holes. The fields are limited to 48 golfers and the purses are an astronomical, astronomical $25 million dollars. Uh, 12 four-man teams will compete. So that's a big one. 12 four-man teams. Um, they'll compete in each event, and the individual purses will be $20 million, while the other $5 million will be div- divided up among the best teams each week. So the winner gets uh, $20 million divided up among the four of them, obviously, while the other $5 million will be divided amongst the other teams um, throughout that week. Um, Live Golf. So this is the interesting part about Live Golf. And it's kind of come under um what's the word um 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 not speculation but um controversy it's come under controversy um live golf investments runs the league so live golf investments runs live golf that's pretty easy and its ceo is two-time major champion greg norman but the big part is it is funded by the saudi arabian public investment fund which is effectively the financial arm of the saudi arabian government Obviously, the United States, and I think people as a whole, do not have a, um, let's say, strong relationship with the Saudi Arabian government and the Saudis in general, just because, I mean, they had they, they murdered an, an American journalist, I believe it was just a, about a year ago, I want to say, or something like that. Um, but, I mean, the funds that... The Saudi Arabian government are able to provide are basically limitless as the league has paid hundreds of millions of dollars to to uh, to golfers just to guarantee their appearances at the live golf uh, invitational series events. So you become the the argument becomes. Where are you morally. Able to take money. To kind of ignore your moral compass is more of the idea that people are kind of running into for for a controversy. $25 million when we're just talking about it like it's nothing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not condoning the move or anything like that from Phil Mickelson or Dustin Johnson or anything like that. Um, $25 million is a lot of money, um, but we can make it seem like less when we're just talking about it, if that makes sense. It seems like, Nothing compared to, and you know, Phil Mickelson, he just had that report come out about his gambling issues where he's seemingly in a lot of debt and $25 million to a guy that's in debt or, you know, has lost a substantial amount of money thanks to gambling um, can be a huge, you know, you can ignore a moral compass um, for that sort of money. And I don't think. I want to say I don't think a lot of us would do anything differently. Um, just assuming. I'm not saying, you know, I would take the money or anything like that. I don't know what I would do in that scenario. You know, if I was being offered hundreds of millions of dollars 
to kind of just turn a blind eye to the uh, shady, shady going ons uh, of the people that are giving me the money. Um, and that's just an honest assessment of who I am, because, you know, that sort of money would do a lot of things for me uh, and a lot of things for a lot of other individual people. And that's an interesting conversation that needs to be had. We can talk about the, you know, the, the morality of the Saudi, you know, taking money from people like the Saudi Arabian government. It is a very, you know, uh, tough conversation to have because of what they have done to, I mean, just Americans, obviously, and um, American journalists and things like that. So it's, um, you can, you can shame them for what they're doing, shame them as much as you want. Um, you know, you can, you can be disappointed in them. That's an understanding. Um, but the difference in money that they're about to make because of just the contract that they signed is exponentially more. I mean, it's exponentially different. And like I said, the, that sort of money is, it can make you turn a blind eye and change your moral compass to a different spot than you thought it was just because the money's in front of you, you know? Um, and that is an interesting conversation to be had. It's just, it's easier. It's easy to sit here and say, you know, um, I wouldn't take the money because of who is funding this organization or who is funding live golf. But when that money is sitting in front of you with all you need is to, is a signature and you immediately, and you have the money that becomes a harder conversation to have with yourself. So uh, we can, we can, um, talk about this as much as we want in terms of moral, uh, the morality of it and um, the limit of what we can put on ourselves in order to take money um, from somebody that doesn't have a strong reputation. But once we're sitting in the chair about to sign the contract, that's going to put a roof over our heads or put a roof over, you know, basically, basically solve any problem that our children are going to have for the rest of their lives. And that becomes a lot more interesting and your moral compass becomes to change a lot easier than you probably think it would. That's all I'm saying. Okay. It's just more of a, it's more of a difficult conversation to have when you have the pen in your hand and the money and the check is right in front of you. It's a lot more, it's a lot more difficult than just sitting here listening to this and just saying, you know what? These guys shouldn't have done that. That's despicable. And fair enough. If you want to say that, then absolutely, you know, the Saudi Arabian government and the arm of the, 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 the financial arm of the Saudi Arabian government is not something to be, um, you know, uh, to, to, to take lightly because of what they've done. I'm not saying that at all. Saudi Arabians, the Saudi Arabian government has gotten away with a lot of atrocities and one of them being a, the murder of a American journalist. I'm not saying that that I'm not condoning that by any means. I'm just saying the conversation becomes a lot more complicated when the check is very much in front of you, the check is right in front of you. That number is in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and, um, you know, you have, you can use this money to set up your family for the rest of their lives and not even think about it. That becomes a completely different conversation and a much more difficult decision to be had. That is, that, that's all, that's, that's all I want to bring up and make you, that's all I want people to think about more is, um, what would you do in the situation that they're in? Um, especially a guy like Phil Mickelson. I mean, he's gone through um, a lot, I would say, over the last, you know, just, it's been almost, what, eight eight months or something like that when this started kind of coming alive and then the, um, the, the gambling thing started coming out and that became a big story. And then, you know, if you're in his situation, it becomes a lot more interesting and being in debt to bad people if, especially if you're a gambler or something like that, if you're in debt to gambling charts or anything like that, that becomes a lot, you know, that money becomes kind of a, you know, a, a savior, if you will. So, you know, just think about, think about, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to condone anything that the Saudi Arabians are doing or anything like that. The Saudi Arabian government are doing or what they did to an American journalist. Um, but it's, it's just, I want you to th think about the conversation or the think of the conversation you're going to have in your head when that check is actually in front of you. Um, it becomes a lot more in depth and interesting and, um, concerning where your moral compass will change depending on the amount of money that you have in front of you. That's just a human way of life. That's uh, the humanity in that is all too, um, all too apparent. So that's live golf. It's coming. It's here. I mean, they've got a bunch of names that are already on there that everybody knows. Like I said, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, 
Louis Oosthuizen, um, Kevin Na, Sergio Garcia, bunch of others. Lee Westwood as well. Ian Poulter is also signed up. So we're getting a rival. It feels like to uh, the PGA and they're right around the corner and they're basically here. So um, there's not a lot we can do about it now. Uh, it's just, where are you going to put your morality? Basically, how do you feel about um, watching something that is funded by somebody that isn't too, uh, isn't on the, um, let's say the right side of a couple of things in history? How do you measure that? So that's live golf. That's kind of what's coming. They just signed Phil Mickelson, Justin Johnson, and they have a bunch of other people and they're starting up here at the, in just a couple of days, basically at the Centurion golf club in London. That's from June 9th to 11th. So that's, uh, that's, that's that, that's, uh, the golf situation, you know, sit back, think about it. If you don't want to support that sort of thing, absolutely don't support it. You, you know, you don't have to sit there and watch live golf tournaments or anything like that, or even have the notion to support it. Um, but it's going to happen nonetheless. And that's kind of just the way of the world right now. Even if, you know, you don't like it or you feel wrong watching it, it'll probably go on nonetheless because of the funding that they have behind it, unfortunately. So that's live golf moving on to the MLB, a perfect transition by James. Thank you. That was incredible. Um, moving on to the MLB there. We're about a third of the way of the season being completed about 55 games are done. That's not a third, but you know, three, three out of nine innings are done, if you will. Um, 55 games or so are in the AL East being commanded by the Yankees. They've won a couple in a row now. They're 39 and 15. They've built up a pretty solid lead over the Blue Jays, who are in second place. They're at 32 and 22, a seven game uh, deficit between the Blue Jays and the Yankees. The Rays are in third place in the AL East, 31 and 23. They're eight games back of the Yankees. Then the Red Sox are 28 and 27. As of Tuesday, 11 and a half back of the Yankees. And the Orioles are back in last 23 and 33, 17 games back of the Yankees and the AL Central twins, 32 and 24 uh, leading the AL Central. The Guardians are close behind them, 24 and 25, four and a half games back. White Sox are 25 and 27, five games back. Tigers are 21 and 33, 10 games back. And the Royals are 17 and 36. Worst record in the MLB right now for the Royals, 17 and 36. They're 13 and a half back of the twins AL West. We talked about it a little bit already. The Astros are 35 and 20 uh, angels are 27 and 29, eight and a half back. The Rangers are 25 and 28, nine games back. Mariners are 25 and 30, 10 games back. And the athletics are 20 and 36. They're 15 and a half games back. Moving over to the national league Mets 38, and 19 best record in the national league is the Mets right now. They're partying over in, in uh, New York. We could have knock on wood, a subway series world series, uh, the two best teams in the uh, either league are New York teams. So that's very interesting to keep an eye on. The Mets, 38-19, like I said. Braves are behind them at 28-27. and 27. They're nine games back. The Phillies are 25-29, and 11 and a half games back. The Marlins are 22-30, and 30, 13 and a half games back of the Mets. And the Nationals close it out in the NL East. They're 21-35, 16 and a half games back. Brewers lead the NL Central. 33 and 23. The Cardinals are right behind them though. 32 and 23 half a game back as of Tuesday evening. Pirates are 24 and 28. How about the Pirates? I didn't even realize that third in the NL Central. 24 and 28, just four games under 500. Seven games back of the Brewers. Cubs are 23 and 32. They're nine and a half games back of the Brewers. And the Reds are 19 and 35. They started off abysmally. They started off as bad as any team in the history of baseball, but you know, they've come back. I want, you know, I won't say come back all the way, but you know, they're, 19 and 35. So they're not as bad as they were. They don't have the worst record in baseball. Uh, 19 and 35. They're 13 games back of the Brewers. And then the NL West, the slaughterhouse that is the NL West. It is a brutal, brutal division to be in in baseball. Probably the hardest division, I would say, right now in baseball, just because every team can kind of beat all the other teams any given night, I would say. Um, it's the NL West and the AL East, I would say, probably the hardest divisions in baseball right now. NL West, the Dodgers leading 35 and 19. Uh, the Padres are 33 and 22. They're two and a half back of the Dodgers. The Giants are 29 and 24. They're five and a half back. D-backs are 26 and 30, 10 games back. And then the Colorado Rockies dead last in the NL West, 23 and 31. And they are 12 games back in the NL West. We're going to take a look at some betting favorites for the MLB. We're about, what I say, we're... we're I'm three innings down of the nine inning. That is what is the nine inning season? I guess if you want to look at it that way. The uh, 
as of June 7th, so today, as of uh, June 7th, Tuesday, June 7th, the MLB MVP odds are, are shifting a little bit. As of right now, the NL MVP odds, uh, Mookie Betts is leading the way uh, at plus 290. Then it's Manny Machado at plus 425, Paul Goldschmidt at plus 425, and the rest, it's kind of, you know, uh, it's kind of a crapshoot. Pete Alonso is plus 800, Bryce Harper's plus 900, and then Nolan Arenado's plus 2,000, and so on and so forth. In the AL, uh, Aaron Judge leads the way in AL MVP odds. Aaron Judge plus 200, and then it's Shohei Otani plus 300, Mike Trout plus 400, and then it's Jose Ramirez plus 1,100, Vlad Guerrero Jr. plus 1,800, and then Byron Buxton plus 2,000, and so on and so forth. Um, looking at Cy Young here. This one was also updated as of Tuesday, June 7th. Um, and I'll say young for right now, the favorite to Corbin Burns. He's put at plus 400. And then it's Joe Musgrove of the uh, Padres. Maybe a little bit of a sleeper there. He's at plus 600. Another sleeper, Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins. He's plus 600. He just had a really good month of uh, month of May as well. So he'll be interesting to keep an eye on. And then in the AL, Justin Verlander, old man Verlander, plus 425 leading the way in the AL. Shane McClanahan of the Rays at plus 600. Then Garrett Cole at plus 600. Nestor Cortez, my favorite pitcher to watch. If you haven't watched a nasty Nestor game, go watch a nasty Nestor Cortez game. He plays for the Yankees at plus 700 uh, odds. Kevin Gosman of the Blue Jays at plus 800. And then Alec Manoa also of the Blue Jays at plus 900 as well. So those are kind of the odds that are coming up for the um, for the awards. Obviously, still a ton of baseball left to be played. Um, We'll see where any of the, if any of these guys that I just named even ends up winning any of those awards. Um, we'll take a look at World Series odds too, just because. And right now, currently, it is the LA Dodgers who still lead the uh, the odds makers in terms of World Series favorites. The Dodgers are plus four fifty, depending on where you get your odds, um, and then plus five fifty are the New York Yankees and the AL. Astros are right behind them at plus six fifty. Mets are plus seven fifty. And then the Blue Jays are plus 900, Brewers plus 1,100, and so on and so forth. So those are the betting odds for the World Series and all the other awards um, associated with the MLB. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, still a lot of baseball to be played, obviously. And um, any of those teams could be World Series champions, or we could have a random team from the wild card be a world champion as well. It's just baseball. That's how it works. And it's a beautiful game and I love it. Um, that's going to wrap up the show this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, I've been your host, James Timberlake. Make sure you uh, rate and subscribe as usual, please. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and you have been listening to this week's weekend sports wrap podcast. <laughs>